um, Simon. Yeah. It's the the moment's kind of lost, but anyways. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. I can I can always add it later somewhere else. Yeah. In, ter- in terms of the blandishments of the the presentation, the cookies were nice. Um, and there were other kind of free stuff, but. If Google, if you're listening, we'd like some savory. I don't want to eat so much sugar. So <laughs> savory, savory stuff more. Next consult, please. Hello. Welcome to Hacks. It's a tech podcast. My name is Simon. As always, I'm joined by Morale. Hello, everyone. Uh, we got Rob. Oh, hello. And we got Rosemary. Hi, everyone. All right. So we've got, oh, actually, before I even tell you what kind of show we've got, throw in a few show notes. We are on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. We are on TuneIn. And as of a few hours ago, we're on Spotify. We're everywhere. So you have no excuse not to subscribe, to go rate us on iTunes, to spread the word of the gospel of the Hacks Initiative. So now you know. Tell your friends. Tell your frenemies. Tell your straight-up enemies. We don't care. We don't discriminate, although you probably should. So we've got a jam-packed show for you today. We've got two major topics that are very closely linked, and one of them, I mean, I guess we should start with the fact that uh, we had our first Hacks Field Initiative related to uh, to an episode. Rosemary and I, a couple of weeks ago, we went to a public consultation by Sidewalk Labs. Um, Rosemary, do you want to explain to the people who are what the hell Sidewalk Labs is? Sidewalk Labs is a uh, company created by uh, Google. They are planning a smart city in uh, I don't know how many acres, a substantial amount of space in the, the Toronto's so-called Portland's area, which is an undeveloped area, a disused industrial area. And it is both uh, considered to be quite controversial for reasons that we will discuss. I didn't really know what to expect going to this um, public consult. But I guess we should we should also clarify this development is being overseen by this group called Waterfront Toronto, which is... And I should also clarify, even before we get into this, this is a Toronto-specific initiative, but I think this connects to cities all over the place and possibly even yours um, for reasons that we'll get into in a bit. Uh, So Waterfront Toronto has been uh, tasked with the redevelopment of this um, several hundred acres of waterfront, but this particular deal has to do with this this key side area, this uh, this 12-acre area. And Sidewalk Labs is a subsidiary of Alphabet itself, a subsidiary of Google, and they're the ones pitching this particular vision for the redevelopment of this area. And um, I believe the consultation that we went to was the third consultation, and there's more still to come. Now, to my disappointment, I was actually hoping that they were going to be talking about um, data and data governance in this meeting. Unfortunately, they made very clear that A, they had previously discussed this in another session, and B, they were not going to be discussing it in this one, although they are having another meeting in October to get into that in more detail. So actually, I mean, you can you can come in on this, Rosemary, but I we we saw what I thought was a very carefully stage-managed presentation that like really avoided any of the sort of thornier subjects related to the fact that, you know, there's this big space that 
is going to be, you know, covered in sensors and no one's quite sure what the, what they're going to be used for. There doesn't seem to be a lot of agreement on that. Um, yeah, what they were showcasing was product development and they have some, you know, fun, interesting uh, kind of off-the-wall ideas like paving stones, that uh, modular paving, paving stones that make it easier to, to fix uh, problems in the, in the pavement, which is no longer pavement. In one note I made when we were listening to the the presentations was like the death of concrete because the other the other proposal they have is to create a mass timber industry that's the name of it in uh, canada uh, by creating these prototype 30 story tall um timber uh, frame buildings and currently regulations only permit six story timber uh, frame buildings so this is quite an interesting vision i think um but as simon said it's that's what they wanted to showcase is the sexy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone came to that consult like hoping to hear about tall timber, but they sure heard a lot about tall timber. Just a quick question. I mean, I want to circle back to something you've said um, a few minutes ago, Simon, which is that you were expecting to talk about data governance. And I guess like I am a huge um, supporter and, you know, I, I strongly believe in, in, you know, digital sovereignty, data sovereignty, um, I, those issues are really close to my heart, um, but I would never go to a corporate public like stakeholder engagement meeting, assuming that they would be willing, even like with a government stakeholder engagement meeting, assuming that that like, let's get into it. Let's talk about all kind get of into like, the weeds. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm, I'm interested to, I guess, do you mind like elaborating on why you thought they would be so forthcoming? You're interested to know why I was such an idiot. No, I just no. I think that's. <laughs> Let's talk it out. I, I don't think it's it's idiotic. It's just I guess I'm maybe jaded based on the fact that you know I haven't currently work for a government entity. So my perspective is such that like okay, well obviously there is going to be some information that's always kind of presented in in um, as Rosemary said, kind of presented and you're going to focus on the sexy stuff that appeals to your stakeholders. Well, I will, I will say that if I was not jaded enough, then I was not the only one because people were, there were asking and I wasn't asking any questions. So people, the people did want to know. Uh, it was brought up at least once by, um, by an audience member, you know, what sort of data is being collected and most importantly, like who gets to use the data and for what. Now they, they have already said that uh, any data collected would not be used, would not be sold to advertisers. There's a little bit of a loophole there potentially, which we can get into later uh, when we get into the sort of the arguments pro and con that are already being thrown around. I probably should have expected uh, the amount of evasion that we got, but it, it I, I was a little bit surprised at just how, um, just how slick it was. And like, clearly there's a lot about the development that, that they are eager to show off, like, um, Rosemary was saying the modular pavement, this whole notion of sort of buildings wearing raincoats, um, this idea that the, they can sort of weatherproof the outside of these areas so that these common areas can be used all throughout the year. I don't really know if they've accounted for the sort of extreme weather we can expect over the coming years or not. That wasn't discussed, nor as I could see did anyone ask about it. Clearly no, no real discussion of the thornier issues, which is not to say that the discussion is not happening. Over the course of uh, doing research for this episode, we found quite a fierce volley going on uh, between some local activists and some local counteractivists, I guess we might say. And uh, I wanted to read some stuff. Uh, there was a Washington Post piece, an opinion piece uh, by Brian Barth, 
Sorry, before we go back, um, just I think it's important to kind of point out that the, you know, like the modular pavement stuff, raincoats, et cetera, like these ideas have been circulating for quite a while, um, not only in academic circles, but policy ones as well. So like there's a lot to unpack there, but we shouldn't just assume that these are like brand new polished ideas that Alphabet's coming up with. A lot of news coverage I saw about this event really did appreciate that buildings could have raincoats. And so, I, you know, there are certainly some op-eds that were published in major papers that ask questions about data governance, but like the people love a good Google uh, slideshow, you know, and they want to hear about like the city of the future. And what if the roads were electrified so that you never had to charge your electric car? Um, I, I don't know. I feel like um, the masses of people maybe even the majority of people at that consultation were probably really excited to hear about what Google will build uh, just for them in their perfect city. And when poor people walk on the roads, they're electrocuted. So that's good. So um, I I wanted to get into some of the arguments that are kicking around. Um, There was um, a World Post, um, sorry, a Washington Post editorial um, by Brian Barth, where he sort of did a, a, a little bit of a survey of the people who are a, a little bit skeptical, or some of the people, I should say, who are a little bit skeptical about the the whole Sidewalk Labs mission. Um, there's a group of local, I guess, tech activists, you could call them Tech Reset Canada, including uh, Bianca yeah. Wiley, who's uh, written a series of Medium posts about the development, generally in quite incendiary language, I think it's fair they to say. They are very good. We recommend our listeners check them out, and they should be linked in the show description. I'm, I'm always up for some good old-fashioned muckracking. And uh, anyway, I wanted to read some quotes from wanted to read some quotes from the piece real quick. Gives you the idea of some of the uh, some of the skepticisms. So far, the virtual world has been something we opt into, giving up various rights in the terms of service agreements we hastily click closed, and can opt out of it if we so choose. It's one thing to willingly install Alexa into your home. It's another when publicly owned infrastructure, streets, bridges, parks, and plazas is Alexa, so to speak. There's no opting out of public space or government services for which Sidewalk Labs appears eager to provide an IT platform. An integral component of the proposal for Keyside is an identity management system, a, quote, portal through which each resident accesses public services, end quote, whether library cars, driver's license renewals, or healthcare. Who will own the data streaming from sensors in every park bench, lamppost, and dumpster in Keyside? No one at Sidewalk Labs, nor in local government, has given a straight answer to that question yet. And then it goes on to quote uh, Bianca Wiley, uh, data produced by the public should be publicly owned and managed transparently. Which, I mean, I think everyone currently hosting this podcast is probably probably a blanket statement we can all agree with. What do we think, like, when all's said and done and they finally do un- unveil what their plans are? And I know that they have plans to release um, more detailed plans later in the fall. Like, what do we think that's actually going to look like? Could anyone care to speculate? What what we think what we think the actual plans for this uh, paradigmatic city of the future yeah. is going to look like? Well, specifically think, in its use of data. Oh, I don't think you're going to get much. I mean, I would be shocked, I think, if... Uh, you know, Alphabet came out and said, or Sidewalk uh, Labs, depending on, I guess, who would take that on. Um, it'd probably be like a better PR move if Sidewalk Labs did it and not and not um, Alphabet, because we all know the problems they run into. Um, but I think um, if they are going to release something, it's going to be down the line. It's not going to be now. Um, it's not going to be forthcoming in the next few months. Uh, and, you know, 
if whatever that what that does come out, it's going to be pretty limited in scope um, and description. Um, it's going to use a lot of boilerplate language. Um, I think there won't be too many goodies. Um, I don't know. I'd be really happily surprised if they were quite um, open to having conversations or even kind of describing how, you know, your data is going to be managed or governed, um, how maybe they don't have the right to that. But I think, you know, the old saying that data is always already cooked um, is very, very valuable to a corporation looking to essentially kind of infiltrate the built environment through a variety of different like digital technologies. We can't forget that. So I don't think there's going to be much, but I really hope I'm wrong. Yeah. So in the um, the Sidewalk Labs uh, slideshow for this event, you guys were there, so you know, um, yeah. there was this diagram of what the neighborhood looks like, right? And on the bottom layer, there's like the infrastructure and then you go up and there's like the people and the vehicles and blah, blah, blah. But like the top layer of this sandwich, if you will, is the digital layer of the city. You know, this digital layer that Sidewalk Labs, that alphabet whatever you want to call it, is proposing that they will have sole control over, right? Um, in fact, when this neighborhood was slated for redevelopment, because right now it's basically barren industrial land, Waterfront Toronto was going to put out an RFP, basically, for vendors who would come in and sort of do the re redevelopment. And then after Sidewalk Labs expressed their interest, uh, it was changed to a sole source contract. So Sidewalk Labs is really interested in being the only entity in this physical space that's going to have governance. And we know how Google treats data, right? Just hoovers it up. Um, they intend to drape an entire digital layer over a 12-acre part of downtown Toronto and suck up everything that they can with all these smart sensors, microphones, cameras, what have you. So I think that it would be highly unlikely like Morel says, that we would get detailed plans about what they want to do with this data and how they want to govern it. Um, and I think that what we do here is that um, they are going to treat our data ethically and they're going to keep it on Canadian servers, right? Which is the thing that digital companies always say and it doesn't really mean anything. And not sell to third parties without our authorization exactly, or disclosing. Yeah. yeah, and I, I just want to note that Christopher Hume, who um, I guess he's the architecture critic or previously was for the Toronto Star. He's a journalist who's, who's worked for a long, a long time, 30, 40 years. Anyways, he, he quotes, sorry, I don't have the name, saying, oh, no, no, we're just collecting data about air quality and traffic uh, congestion. So uh, Christopher Hume, you know, all credit to him, but he, he took that at face value. And so we have to consider the possibility that somebody's lying about this but we don't know who <laughs> i i have to read directly from christopher hume's piece because it's really funny he obviously does not have any respect for the um for some of the reporting going on and his his prose is is quite funny i'm gonna just read the, the first part of his his article here down at Conspiracy on the Lake, the plot to steal Toronto is slowly but surely taking shape. Disguised as a mild-mannered community based on new and innovative ideas about city building, the 12-acre experimental neighborhood is really a nefarious attempt by big businesses to gobble up our fair burg. Thank goodness the local media isn't fooled. <laughs> anyway, he, he goes on uh, that. Christopher Hume is one of my favorite Toronto journalists, and I put that in square co quotes because he is a real hard hitter. Uh, some of his recent headlines, is Toronto home to the world's smallest coffee shop? <laughs> um, 
playground debates heat up all over Toronto. Hey, that one's interesting. <laughs> Developers are the real city builders in Toronto. So just a flavor of my favorite for him. <laughs> but I, I wanted to circle back to um, the WAPO piece because um, it, it quite directly confronts this idea about what they'll do with data and sort of the way they're possibly getting around uh, some of these concerns. So I'm going to quote directly here. On May 1st, in an apparent effort to respond to its critics, Sidewalk Labs released a, a responsible data use policy framework. It's very official sounding which states that the company, quote, will not sell personal information to third parties or use it ourselves for advertising purposes. We went through that before. On the surface, this would seem to assuage the public's worst fears. But to the data literate, it's a fairly hollow promise because it leaves open the option of selling or otherwise commercializing anonymized aggregate data, which is subject to its own perils and can be unanonymized by malicious actors. Related, I guess, in a, in a different vein to all this stuff, we're thinking, just to go back to Christopher Hume's piece about how, like, oh, it's these big kind of corporations, these big businesses. But also, the issue has to do with it's, I mean, I think you have to think about data and data governance and also how that plays into the production of space of a city, um, going back to what Rob was talking about in terms of kind of um, not just kind of like, for instance, things as simple as like geo addressing and what that does. How do you if you start rationalizing digital space um, that is kind of overlaid on, on top of, you know, the built environment, um, what does that mean if you're a state, if you're a corporation, if you're a third party vendor that's operating, you know, through an RFP that, you know, you you then get and you can develop a project, all of these things have to be considered as well. Um, but also what that means for kind of the tactics of geo surveillance that become possible through those digital technologies. And this goes back to what you were saying, right, Rob? Um, and I think that's something that doesn't always play into it's, I guess, maybe not as sexy as kind of just like the questions of digital sovereignty and data governance themselves. But I think you have to think about those as well, because they're quite important to look through, especially when you start appifying space in a city. And this is not a gated community, right? Like Waterfront no. Toronto, which is the organization overseeing this development, is a tripartite organization. The city of Toronto, the province of Ontario, the government of Canada, right? They are the stewards of this space, right? It, when you walk down the streets of Keyside or, uh, you know, Google presents Keyside, whatever it ends up being called, you're not walking down private streets. These are going to be public streets, right? But and what so does there that is mean? a, well, there's a responsibility to steward the public space, whether it's the infrastructure layer or the digital layer. Right. But okay. Um, this is an interesting abyss to jump into, but let's talk about the public space. What what the fuck does that mean in 2018, right? I mean, you can talk, you can have a, a if, if now if it were Waterfront Toronto completely in charge of this project, I bet you that we wouldn't have nearly as many questions from the public about, you know, what it means to, to go ahead and put in all these weird sensors and shit. Um, and you see this happening in cities all around the world who are like, you know, presenting themselves as like these paradigmatic cities. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Dubai, for instance, and uh, fair enough, like I've, I've written on this before, but, um, you know, the idea that you have like an app that is that essentially kind of attempts to use technology to simplify your day-to-day -day commute or life in some way. And then all of a sudden people kind of just opt into it without thinking critically about it. But because it's a corporation, we're being more reflective. What does it mean to be uh, a steward of the public? I guess that's I my think, question. I don't think Dubai is the most representative example because they're doing wild shit constantly right like if waterfront toronto were the only ones in charge of this project they just build a shitty wave sculpture and like that would oh, be the thing that we're fighting about that's racist right <laughs> which part <laughs> i kind of agree with you that like we're having this conversation because a big corporation big scary corporation is uh 
you know, building or trying to develop this neighborhood, right? And so we are asking more questions, especially because it's a corporation that has a history of like um, doing questionable things with data or at least doing things that in the future could be questionable, right? Um, so yeah, I think it is a positive that we're at least, you know, um, more vigorously debating this project because they're involved. You know, if it were Waterfront Toronto doing the same thing, we wouldn't. You're totally right about that. And and I think it's not only because it's a it's a corporation, but because it's almost a monopoly, right? I mean, we're talking about a, a corporation that has a if it doesn't have a full monopolistic hold on our data, it's like awfully close. Oh, totally. I mean, everything we do online is mediated through this company um, and the tracking software that they use. Uh, and now in our physical environment, I mean, if you use an Android phone, Google knows where you are at all times, right? But now it's going to be like the the cadence of your footsteps and like how often you use the bathroom or like what you throw in the trash, all that sorts of stuff. I do find it funny in the Chris Hume piece when he says, well, it seems like Google already knows quite a lot about us because it presumes that at some point they'll know enough. And they'll just <laughs> so fucking good, man. Looking. I love him. <laughs> I think that the, the implication of Google's vision is that just like concrete, <laughs> the public commons is a thing of the past. Like, I don't know why they want to replace concrete's been a technology that's that's been pretty good. It's It's proved to be like, I guess, you know, some downside to it, but it's it's a, a global technology that's been around for oh, I don't know how long, hundred years longer. Who knows the history of pave pavement? Because you've got to keep but, disrupting, Rosemary. You've got to keep disrupting. Always be disrupting. Um, just on the topic of um, the built-in obsolescence of concrete through Google. First of all, well, it's interesting because there's a lot of innovation occurring with regards to um, what you want to call, and I'm putting ghost quotation marks here, but green concrete, right? That kind of supposedly has a lot more fluff mixed into it and therefore can be used as like a like a carbon storage or like you can use it to sequester or store carbon, right? It's interesting to hear that there's kind of this move away from concrete, given especially kind of that it's Toronto. My question when you said, when you said that there was a lot of like timber talk, um, I wanted to know if there were any like softwood lumber lobbyists present or like if maybe Google is like now become like, is it owned by someone in the Pacific Northwest who's looking <laughs> to like cash out on all their like failing pine beetle harvested I, wood I products? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's absolutely a good point that, that we don't know what the lobbying component of, of the whole project is. And that's never that's never disclosed. So that's there's nothing uh, new about that. Um, that's but that's a, that's the job of the reporters, like Christopher Hume, <laughs> to actually <laughs> to get to the bottom. People are really so sinking their teeth into this one. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I will say one of the more interesting parts of the presentation was they were talking about how like they want to get these fifty foot uh, pieces of timber or whatever these tall pieces of timber and like the. It, apparently the most clearance you can get right now is for like a 12 foot piece of timber. So what they need to do is they need to lobby to get like the 15, the, the 15 piece are in, and then they need to keep going up and up until they can finally get the, it's going to take years for them to get these, these like timber lengths they wanted. It seems ridiculous. First of all, this is all in a public consultation. Yes, it was. <laughs> Who the fuck cares? Secondly, <laughs> I secondly, of like how we need to like that's what they're fo they must you know what if they were focusing so much on like how they need to lobby for lumber to be cleared then my guess is they have they have nothing drafted like they don't even have the skeleton of this they project. had drawings they have the raincoats they have the raincoats for the lumber that hasn't been cleared <laughs> right. and you need like what an extra 40 feet for it to clear and then they also have, they have cookies 
second conspiracy theory of the night. So, okay, so the first one was that somehow the Pacific Northwest is actually backing Alphabet because we have an interest in softwood lumber. Um, the second conspiracy theory is maybe Doug Ford has already sold now that like there is no um, essentially carbon emissions program in Ontario. Uh, maybe Doug Ford has now sold all of your forests, whatever's left over in the 613 area um, to be sold. Just, you know, let's harvest all the wood in Ontario. And actually, you only have this shitty smart city to live with. He would never do anything to benefit Toronto, though. That's the only thing. Well, that, yeah, exactly. Which is why he would encourage a smart city. <laughs> That's right. Just burn it to the ground. It's interesting, Rosemary, that you brought up lobbying because one of my pet peeves about projects like this is that there's almost like a reverse lobbying that happens. And this is sort of bleeding into our next topic. But like the vociferousness with which politicians were ready to jump on this thing before there were any concrete plans in place was disgusting. Like having... God bless him, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, come out and talk about how great the smart city is. I'm sure Merle will have thoughts later. Um, you know, how how much uh, John Tory was, you know, like debasing himself almost to like grovel at the feet of Sidewalk Labs. Like, we're so glad that you chose Toronto for this very important initiative. You know, the, the politicians lobbying the company to come here and like, please, we'll do anything to make this happen. Um, including look the other way on all the issues that we're talking about, especially the lumber, which really sticks in my craw. We should probably be be drawing down on the subject. I mean, we're, we're, we're probably going to have reason to return to the whole subject of sidewalk labs and uh, smart cities in future episodes because this is an ongoing issue. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to the next consult and I'm going to see if my message got back to them that, that I want savory snacks, not only only cookies. So, <laughs> Add them. Sidewalk labs, come on hacks. Look. <laughs> Sponsor us. Sidewalk. Yeah. Yes, please sponsor us and we will only say nice things. <laughs> and also, if you're listening, please, Rosemary's dying here. Get her some savory snacks. But make um, sure they're gluten-free. Yeah, And make sure, get some GF in there. Um, <laughs> as much as th- this has been like a fairly Toronto-centric segment so far, I'm assuming that there's got to be smart city proposals being drawn up all over the place in all sorts of major metropolitan areas. So uh, that's something we didn't even mention, which is that this whole Sidewalk Labs thing is not just about making Toronto great. Fuck that. This is the lab for creating an approach that they can then stamp on cities all over North America and presumably the globe. Right. So this is this is the sort of long term vision um, for this spinoff of Alphabet, Um, which is like kind of wild when you think about it. It's like the defining thing about urban spaces is that you have to plan them so each one is unique. Do you? <laughs> I've read Jane Jacobs. That's the state of the art, right? Um, and uh, each one, the the plan for Sidewalk Labs is that we have this digital layer that, you know, app style, we just stamp all over different places. It's the same everywhere because it works in Toronto. Or, like, cities are considered an example of an emergent entity, and so nobody plans them. They have a bit of planning, but generally they're organic. So that's a that's a problem right there. With Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and maybe that's the last thing from the presentation that I'll, that I'll mention is that there was this all this d- discussion of how people gravitate towards spaces that feel like they've been used. So there's all this talk about how they want to build something that feels that it's been in use for a while, like something that feels like it has desire lines or whatever, but like nothing in their design looked like that. Like it all looked astroturfed. It all looked like 
very Silicon Valley, very like out of out of some you know tech guy's imagination. Uh, maybe, maybe you felt differently, Rosemary, but none of it to me felt uh, weathered in any way. It looked like a Starbucks. Like, what if your entire city was a Starbucks? I think that's basically the plan here, right? Something that people want to be in that's like comfortable. Yeah. What's wrong with that, Rob? I'm not putting any judgment on it. I love Nora Jones. I think there are a few things. Well, there's a lot to unpack. And I really wish we could just do like three hours on this topic because it's very interesting. But I think one of the things to keep in mind is that and um, some of this conversation of like, you know, essentially kind of creating um, like a policy mobility for a paradigmatic smart city or a city of the future. And then essentially transposing that across the world um, is almost like a it's another form of, you know, neo-colonialism, you know, just with kind of some zeros and ones thrown in because the idea that cities are planned, first of all, is extremely Eurocentric. It's extremely Western centric. Um, and I'm not saying that you are, Rob. I'm just saying like that's an odd, like, you know, we just assume that cities should be planned a certain way. Um, and we use models to show that, okay, look, this city works, right? And most of those models come from the West or the global North. Um, whereas, you know, like Rosemary says, um, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, and also the idea that like, there's kind of the Starbucks kind of, um, model of like something that's kind of familiar but banal and like has enough plugs and always gives you like a consistent product or service um is essentially the city that everyone every like gentrified person (laughs) really wants at the end of the day right like did they talk about the outlets no they didn't that's a main concern bring that up (laughs) bring it up at the next console in the meantime, I wanted to get to our second and final topic of the episode. Um, now, for anyone who's been paying attention to Amazon, and why wouldn't you if you're a listener of this podcast, um, you'll know that they have been spending quite a bit of time on a bit of a hunt for the location of their second major headquarters, aka HQ2. Um, there was a long list kicking around earlier this year that got whittled down to a list of 20 cities. Toronto is the only Canadian city on the list. Uh, But I wanted to start uh, talking about Vancouver because they were on the previous iteration of the list. I want to start with the story from February because Vancouver had a 50-page bid for HQ2. And some people were quite upset because the bid really highlighted that uh, Vancouver pays shit. Uh, they've got the lowest paid software engineers in, I guess, North America, certainly of the of the area that that uh, Amazon was looking into. Some people were quite upset about that <laughs> for, for obvious reasons uh, and quite a few different reasons. Now, the organizers said that, you know, look, we had to offer as many economic incentives as we could because we weren't um, we weren't allowed to offer or we, or we weren't offering tax incentives. But here's the here's what I found funny about the bid, and then I'll I'll, I'll I'm going to segue into a thing, and I'm going to let you guys cut in. Elsewhere in this piece, uh, I'm going to quote here: Amazon was urged to think of Vancouver as Seattle's fraternal twin, a home away from home whose close proximity would minimize Amazon's carbon footprint. Now, what I found funny about that, besides the idea that Amazon cares about their carbon footprint, is I have another piece here. Uh, from just a couple of months ago, and it's from the Seattle Times, a staff columnist there. It starts like this, Dear Other North American City, 
Greetings from Seattle by Amazon, we're HQ1, the original company town. But we are now old news. It's you, one of America's other mid-sized cities with recreational opportunities as ample as your corporate tax benefits, who will soon be crowned as HQ2, the second home of what some call the greatest economic growth engine in human history, which is why we're writing you. If there's one thing we know in Seattle, it's boom and bust. We've gone from billboards urging the last one leaving to turn out the lights to now our first million-dollar neighborhood. Both the rush and the relapse of the fast buck are in our civic DNA. So heads up, other North American city, Amazon is about to detonate a prosperity bomb in your town. And it goes on to detail what what exactly a prosperity bomb is, and I might read some more from that later. But I just think it's funny that it's urging you to think of think of us as another Seattle, and here's a prominent Seattleian saying, maybe this is bad. I mean, Vancouver is the fraternal twin of Seattle that was like half devoured in the womb and came out kind of like dimpy, you know? Um, I do think that um, it's interesting when you talk about software developer wages, obviously wages are low in, in Vancouver across a lot of industries. But when people talk about those wages specifically for software developers, they're often comparing them mostly to like the Bay Area right, where there's such insane competition for that kind of talent that it really um, skews the numbers. I'm sure that a lot of American cities have um, slightly higher wages or higher wages, not slightly, for um, developers than in Vancouver. But I think it's a bit of a misnomer. I mean, the real issue with locating a huge headquarters in uh, Toronto or Vancouver um, are the housing prices, right? Like people not only are they making less money, but really they can't afford to live there. Uh, and I think that's the real um, uh, enemy when you when it comes to adding this many jobs in one of those cities. This, along with the Sidewalk Labs um, example, kind of uh, are both illustrative of like really savvy place branding tactics. Of course, you know, if you're one, if you're submitting a 50 page bid, um, if you're Vancouver or Toronto, Vancouver, especially, um, which I'll get to in a second, like, of course, you want someone like Amazon to come and locate where you are. Um, so for instance, in Vancouver, uh, one of the problems is not only that people can't afford to live there, just like they can't in Toronto and other cities in North America, but also the fact that like, I don't know, for people, Rob and I both live in British Columbia, albeit in the better uh, place, Vancouver Island, um, but there are no jobs. Like there are actually just no jobs. If you land a job, you're pretty lucky Compared to Toronto, where like you walk into a place, from my experiences, you walk into a place and get offered a position on the spot. So I think that's also kind of an issue to consider is, you know, when you're using these tactics as like place branding mechanisms that ostensibly will create multiplier effects, um, you have to also consider that there are going to be lots of hungry cities out there looking for anything so they can go into their re-election campaigns going like, hey, we got Amazon. Well, and it's not just being selected for HQ2 that is the um, place branding prize. It's being um, considered, right? Yeah. Not just as one of the fa- finalists, but um, even, you know, people looking at you as a city that could even be a contender, like to place a bid in the first place, like Vancouver, right? I'm sure that the people in Vancouver uh, on that team knew that they were not in the running, right? It's too close to the first uh, headquarters, even though they tried to spin it otherwise uh, in their bid. The affordability is too bad, blah, 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 blah. But, um, you know, politicians and uh, a lot of policy people as well um, will seemingly do anything to be, you know, placed next to um, locations like Silicon Valley as like a magnet for tech talent, right? It's it's almost like um, uh, I'm old enough at 
31 to bullshit. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to decide what I could get away with. Um, but I'm old <laughs> enough to remember 33, everyone. Okay, that edit that out to remember um, when policymakers were really excited about like film production moving into town, right? And like getting the sort of the buzz that was associated with that. Um, and I see tech as uh, um, the new frontier in that space. I, uh, I wanted to keep reading from this piece um, from, the, from uh, the Seattle Times because it, uh, it has a really great sort of uh, succinct description of what a prosperity bomb does to your city. It's no egalitarian device, this prosperity bomb. Rents have soared and we're now one of the more unequal, unaffordable cities in the nation. It not only hasn't lifted all boats, it has sanitized the fleet by blowing up the blue tarp dinghies clear out to Auburn. We've tried to confront this. We have 58 cranes building housing furiously, by far the most in the nation. I bet there's more than that in Toronto. It hasn't dampened the bomb yet. It might even be further fueling it. In your city, the blast radius will also inexorably consume a string of 100-year-old diners, dive bars, and legendary mom and pops that, quote, just couldn't keep up with the boom. In its place come the new and sterile. Our restaurant scene in the Amazon jungle was recently compared to an airport food court. And this is a detail I found interesting. Don't be surprised if you suddenly find your city broverwhelmed. Amazon has such a male-dominated workforce that we now have 130 single males for every 100 single females. That I did not know. So, first of all, can I just um, plug one of my favorite songs of all time? Um, I think it's called Tech Bro. Is it by, by Childbirth? Childbirth, yeah. Also one of my favorite bands in the world. So, if you're listening, Childbirth, we love you. On this, we're your friend of the pod. Um, but what's interesting, yeah, like the the programmers are definitely kind of a something that you hear about and you talk about. Um, and also to the programmers, if you're lonely and cis and straight, just come over to Victoria, BC, where I think the the numbers are are inverted, right, Rob? Yes. It's like supposedly for every man on the island, or like three women. Um, and you'll have a job, so you're considered a catch here. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's that too. But I think, yeah, like the programmer um, aspect is really interesting. I want to talk about that. But one thing that I found really interesting about that um, that open letter, I guess, is that you know, there's only kind of there's, when we talk about these things, we often kind of fail to talk about um, like who has a right to this kind of new uh, technological city. Um, and if you've been to Seattle or San Francisco recently, or Portland. Um, or even Vic Vancouver, for that matter, um, there's like, oh my goodness, if you're transient in any way, you're fucked. It's, it's so bad. Um, and that disparity is something that is very difficult to kind of wrap your head around until you see it, until you're like in the Tenderloin District, seeing like two people beat the shit out of each other for a sandwich while like some asshole's going on about how much money he made um, selling a startup next door, right? Like it's, I, I, I sorry, I guess I don't really care about the mom and pop so much as the people who are like actually dying no, on the yeah. fucking street. Yeah. So that was just And you know rant. the the image of the the tech workers in the bus driving through the neighborhoods that are encamped by homeless. Um yeah, it's 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 a brutal sort of darwinism that moves into town. Um or at least that's my fear. I don't know. Well, and Toronto for anyone who lives there or doesn't like this is a city that really cannot deal with a whole lot more unequal uh, unequalness, you know, we're talking about, you know, extreme wealth, extreme poverty, 100 people died in the streets of this city last year. And, uh, you know, also home to, you know, the most extravagant pieces of property probably in the whole country. 
also, like, I guess it's not as bad as Vancouver, but there is a housing crisis here. You know, housing has shot up in price over just the last like eight or nine months, and um, you know, it's it's I, th- I forget what the average price of a one bedroom apartment here now, but I, I you can't afford it. I no, I can't afford it. I've I've found alternative arrangements. The idea that they're even entertaining the idea of of bringing them in and having rents go even higher is terrifying to me. That being said, I mean. I I would think that if Vancouver's already out of the running, then Toronto's probably not a contender either. But you know, I've been wrong before. Don't you think? Well, I, I, did you think Toronto's out of the running? Because I feel like, given the um, the cryptocurrency slash like blockchain slash fintech explosion in Toronto, that it would be a perfect candidate. Like it's this hot. It's seen as like this hotbed of technological innovation. Well, I do feel like that's Simon. that's more. <laughs> marketing smoke and mirrors though right i mean that counts i guess so i think that the 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 real decision making on this project is going to come down to finances right like where is the cheapest place that we can locate where we can hire workers for the smallest amount of money um we're going to get the best tax breaks blah 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 blah. Um, who who is debased themselves the most exactly um and i feel like i'm sure toronto has i wouldn't put it past john tory but um I think that uh, other probably struggling American cities will have done that much more. And I don't think that the buzz around AI or blockchain will matter much in the end. At least I would find it more depressing than the current situation if that were the case. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, you're, what Rob said, that it's it's great PR regardless that you've been selected or you've, you've been shortlisted. Um, and that's part of Toronto's uh, general PR push to be considered a, a tech center. But also with the, the whole, there's an interesting Canadian dimension, I think, is that, you know, we're so thrilled <laughs> that Google <laughs> is considering they us. deign to notice <laughs> us. Yeah, well, in Amazon, because there is that colonial kind of mentality, and and uh, that yeah, we're so willing to to, to totally debase ourselves. But can we right. debase ourselves as much as Americans can? That remains. To oh be seen. yes, come I, on. Do we have the governmental tools to do that though? Neo neoliberalism is is characterized by spectacle and Darwinianism, right? And so that's the. the uh, the Amazon thing in particular has those those characteristics to it. The hands on a hard body for cities, right? That's what that's, that's so totally about. Such a beautiful comparison. There being no intrinsic value on display, just who can hold on the longest. And better your life um, circumstances in the process, right? Yeah. Oh, that's so key to the whole narrative of like the solutionism of, oh, you don't like walking when it's snowing out. Don't worry. At Amazon HQ too, we have modular. What is it called? Fucking modular pavement or some crap. Well, that was sidewalk, but yes. What's the difference between the two? That's my question. There's going to be a convergence at some point. That's the actual That's singularity. There's be a competition. Which platform is your city on? Whoa. Ooh. Yeah. Right. I, I. We need to wrap this up before we get to Black Mirror. Um, but <laughs> you mean tell the truth, Simon? <laughs> Someone finally is. Cut us what off, if, Simon. Who do you work for? What if you? What if your city was a brand? <laughs> hey, that's oh fuck off. <laughs>